0: Good morning, everybody.
1: How are you? All right, so we're having some technical difficulties this morning, and I don't know if uh, we, I think we had no audio from Jason across the live stream. I'm not entirely sure. But that also makes me wonder, uh, Jim, maybe you can let me know if people, do we have audio now of what we're doing now? Let Have people let us know? Uh, if not, I don't know if we're gonna be able to solve that problem. So if not, those of you joining us online, will have to let them know. Mm-hmm that they can catch this later on the podcast once it gets uploaded with audio because I don't know if that's a problem we can fix. Whatever the case, we're pressing on, yeah? All right, here we go.
2: of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings, who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless with awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above King all kings. Above all kings. Try right. right. you would take my place and you would bear my cross grace This is a day love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross Oh, you would lay down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me all that you've done for me all that you've done for me the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, finding me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. crimson stain he washed it white as snow Just paid it all, all to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. snow. Speak.
1: They saw the boat coming across the water and, and the word spread and the crowds came, but there they are. They're gathered again, excited to see this man named Jesus and to hear about the things that he's done. Perhaps to see him do some more of the things that he's done, and certainly also to hear the teaching that he's been uh, giving them. So, as he does that, it says that he was there beside the sea on the beach says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And he went with him. And uh, we see here the beginning of this story. We, we understand the, the emotional depth of this man. It says a religious leader of the synagogue. These were usually, um, these are people that we would normally refer to as the Pharisees. They were not professionals. They were regular people in the community, but they were uh, kind of like some of our folks here. Uh, these happen to be men, but men and women that we have in leadership here at Christ Community Church, they would be the teachers of The scriptures, so small group leaders, pastors, uh, ministry leaders, children's ministry workers even. um, Those people, he's one of those kinds of people who serves in the synagogue alongside the rabbis and helps to teach the scriptures and to explain the scriptures to those who are in the synagogue. And so it's one of these guys, and he comes, and we see the depth of his emotion over his fear for his daughter because it says that he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and says... Come and help me. My daughter is knocking on death's door. And and implied in his action is, I've heard that you, Jesus, might be able to do something about that. And it says here that Jesus went with him then towards his home to where his daughter was. And it says then uh, in the next verse, 24, and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. What this is telling us, this is a a woman who had been having what some would describe as as menstruation for 12 years. But we know, of course, here medically today, there could be all kinds of things causing this, this issue for her. But she had been unable, through whatever medical doctors were available at the time, through prayer, through caring for herself, this condition had not stopped for 12 years. And so she's there in among this crowd, and it says that she had suffered under many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but grew, rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, this sounds very simple, but I want to paint this picture for you a little bit because this is, this is really quite an extraordinary thing that's happening. And, it, and it's also interesting that we have two characters in this story who have come to Jesus for similar needs to be healed or to find healing for someone that they care for, but to to call upon him and his divine power to intercede in their circumstance. And one of them is one that everyone around in this community and everyone in his circle of friends and influence would consider to be a very righteous, very upstanding man. And the other is a woman who already is fighting against the societal norms of the day which puts women at a very low status in the society. And we see this time and time again in Jesus' ministry that he does not think that way. Uh, Jesus has a different perspective about about women and treats them in a way that the culture is not treating them. And I think that's instructive for us in the modern world today as we look at different cultures around the world and look at our own. That we value people as God values them, no matter matter what, right? gender, race, religion, creed, none of that stuff, that we value people as God sees them. And here in this story, there's the opportunity, if we look at it from a cultural point of view, we would say that Jesus, if he were anyone else in the culture practically, would value these two people differently. He would be, like we see in some of the other stories, impressed with the man who teaches the scriptures or who has money or who's just a man of power. But here we see something different. But we have this this disparity in the cultural picture of one who is revered and respected in the community and one who, because of this physical problem, this ailment that she has suffered with for 12 years and that doctors have not been able to assist with, she's not only dealing with the cultural issues of being a woman in that time, but she's dealing with the religious issues of being someone who would be considered unclean. If you go back through some of the, the, the commands in Leviticus for the Jewish people related to blood, it's interesting that now, of course, we understand through medical technology and, and science and, and medicine, how much uh, disease and other things can be spread through blood pathogens. And so then when we look back at some of the, the laws that God gave to the Israelites and said, I want you to live differently and to be differently than everyone else around you, for the Bible tells us one of those reasons that God did that was so that they would be a people who stood apart. They would be different. They would be a peculiar people. But we also understand now we look back and we go, some of those commands, many of those commands that God gave, they were just good, healthy Ideas for people to follow and the idea was that God had chosen these people and he wanted them to thrive and to live and to survive And so there were foods that were prohibited. There were activities that were prohibited because those came with risk and So now it's to this time where Jesus is You can go back to Leviticus and read some of the the laws about uh, men and women and unclean periods of their life of their of their moments monthly cycle things like that the ritual purification of cleaning and of washing of not being together with men and women and this woman has now suffered in that condition to be considered unclean every day of her life for 12 years and under the law of the time It wasn't just that she was considered unclean, but if she was in public, she had to make sure that other people knew that she was unclean so that they wouldn't be accidentally defiled by having touched her. Sometimes that would be, you know, uh, we we know from uh, historical accounts that those who had leprosy were in a similar situation. They would have to actually declare themselves as they walked around unclean. In different communities, Women like this woman might be required to do the same. Sometimes they would wear a certain garment to signify that they were unclean in some way according to the law so that someone else wouldn't touch them and so be defiled by having touched them. And that's this woman. And we hear this simple story. It says, this woman came. She had this problem. She wanted to be healed, and she made her way through the crowd, and she touched Jesus' garment. But remember what we talked about right at the beginning of this story. Jesus gets off the boat, and what does he find? A great crowd of people. Uh, I think we were talking about Paul McCartney this morning, right? The Beatles. You think back to uh, the, the British invasion, if you've seen video. Elvis Presley concerts. Celebrities today out in public. What does that look like? People press in. People want to see, right? There's people right around the person who is of note. In this case, it's Jesus and his disciples. And you can imagine, I'm sure this is not an exaggeration, people were excited, they were crushing in. Some of these stories, we have five, 10, 15,000 people have arrived on location to see Jesus at different times. And you can imagine what the people in the back of the crowd want to do. What do they want to do? Right, they want to get closer. And so there's jostling and, and bumping and, and pushing and sometimes people aren't happy and sometimes they're having a good time and people are people back then just like they're people now. And so Jesus is in this environment where the power of God that he's demonstrating through himself has created sort of a, a celebrity atmosphere because not everyone who comes to see Jesus comes with good intentions, right? I mean, some of them them just want to see the spectacle. They don't necessarily believe who he is or what he can do. They just want to, they've heard the stories, and they're like, man, that sounds crazy. i got to see that with my own eyes. Who is this guy? And so this woman has come and made her way through that crowd, and I want you to picture that. And what the ramifications of that would be Under the law. Because not only has she advanced to Jesus, and the scripture tells us here that she's touched his garment, but how many people did she touch along the way to get to where she was going? How many people under the law would have turned her away. How many people under the law would have rebuked her or even perhaps had her stoned because she defiled people making her way through that crowd to try and get to Jesus? And it says there in verse 28, For she said... If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. That's incredible faith. She didn't even say, if I could just get Jesus' attention. If I could could just get Jesus to see me, to look at me, he would see that I have a problem, he would know, I could explain everything to him and ask him if he could help me and then he could make a decision. And, And I'll bet everything I've heard about Jesus, he would help me. She... She was so humble and she was so scared to make this approach. And we find that out here in just a moment, by the way. That she sneaks her way up there and and she doesn't want a lot. She just thinks she believes she's heard the stories of Jesus. Maybe she knows someone who's encountered Jesus who tells her their story. But whatever the case, she has come with some measure of knowledge and a great deal of faith to the place where Jesus is. And she wants nothing more than, than to reach through the crowd and just let her fingertips brush the fabric of his garment. One of the other translations says that she reached out to touch the hem of his garment. Right, She's, she's on the ground. Her face in the dirt, just like the man who came and asked about his daughter, right? He threw himself at Jesus' feet and said, please come and help my daughter. She's dying. And here's this woman who crawls in the dust just so she can reach her hand out and maybe catch a a part of the fringe that hangs from his cloak. Because she says, if I can just get that close, surely, surely I will be made well. And so it says that she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she had said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments?" Now, now, don't miss this. Don't miss the ridiculousness of this statement to human eyes. Because remember the picture, right? It's a crowd. It's the Beatles. Hey, hey, where are the monkeys. We're just monkeying around. People are crazy. They want to see Jesus. They're jostling. The disciples are keeping them back. And the disciples literally look at him and said, Dude, do you see the crowd? You're you're looking at the same people we are, right? Like, how are we supposed to know who touched you? And by the way, Jesus, how do you know that someone touched you? And don't forget, just as we talked about, she didn't even, she didn't grab him by the arm. She just touched his garment. And yet... Her faith activated a response from God himself. And he knew it. Now, and scholars do, they debate, did Jesus really not know who touched him? Because, I mean, he's Jesus, right? He's God. Well, I don't know. He asked the question, who touched me? I think he probably did know. But he was looking for something else. He was about to make an example out of this moment. It says that he knew, he'd sensed, he perceived that power had gone out from him and immediately turned about in the crowd, who touched me, who touched my garment, who touched my cloak, who reached out to me? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I want you to think about that truth that she says told her, he told, she told him the whole truth. That truth begins with 12 years ago, I began to have this problem. And it's continued every day of my life. And I've been to every doctor I could find. I've been to every uh, person who could pray for me. I've been to every religious leader. I've been to everyone that there's even a rumor about that they might be able to help me with this. And not only has it not gone away, but it's gotten worse. And I'm in great pain. And I just, I just, Jesus, I'd heard about you. And I heard that of the things that you did. And I heard about how you've helped other people. And, and people are saying that you're the Messiah. And I've been waiting for the Messiah. And I think you're really him. And so, so I know I shouldn't have done it because I'm unclean. And, and, I, and I, I've offended all of these people. Because, listen, you know, as soon as she stood up in the crowd and said it was me, can you imagine the crowd, the people in her city, the people in her town who know her? What did they do? <laughs> did she touch me? Where did, did, did she touch you? Did she come through? Where did she come through? Did she? T- I'm going to have to go to the temple and be cleansed, and, and, and I'm going to have to sequester myself for days or for a week, and, and oh, I can't believe that she touched me. What a filthy woman. And so she said to Jesus, I heard of you, and I came to you, and I I, sh- I shouldn't have done it, but I I pressed my way through the crowd and, and I hid my face so no one would know that it was me because if they saw me they would, they would know that I was unclean. But I just, Jesus, I just had to get to you because I'm suffering and I think you can help me. I believe that you can help me. Can, can you help me? And she said, and I, I didn't want to bother you because I see that you're busy. I mean, look at all these people. And surely there are people who need more than I need from you. But, but I just wondered if, if I could just get close enough, maybe, if I could just get close enough to maybe touch even a thread hanging from the bottom of your cloak that maybe, maybe I could
2: be healed.
1: And it says that she spoke up in fear because she knew that she had broken the law, because she knew that she had offended the sensibilities of the people around her, because she didn't know how Jesus would react. And now he's called her out in front of all of these people. And then Jesus says to me, one of the sweetest things in all of scripture. And he said to her, Daughter. My child. Sweet one. He says the most endearing thing he could say. There's so much packed up in that word, daughter. Scripture tells us that. If we believe in God and follow after Jesus Christ, we uh, receive the salvation that Christ has for us, that we become sons and daughters of God, of God. And he's saying that to her. "Daughter, you are, you are a child of the king. You are a child of Jehovah, But he's also saying to her, "You are kin to me. We're family." You're not a throwaway. You're not forgotten. No matter what society and culture is telling you, the Messiah stands before you. and says, I see you. I love you. I have something for you. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We see in this part of the story, and we're going to see it again here as we briefly touch on the first part, Jairus and his daughter, because they're still out there, right? We've been interrupted here. (laughs) We started with Jairus saying, my daughter is is near death, please help me. And then we're interrupted by this other scene that takes place. We're going to get back to it. But both of them have something in common. Both of them begin with with a, a, a sense of fear. Her fear doesn't just begin when she's exposed and called out. Her fear began when she was She was thinking, I'm never going to be healed. This is gonna kill me. I'm afraid of that, but there might be someone who can help me. And that fear leads to faith. It brings her to a place where she's willing. Because she's tried everything else, she's trusted everything else, and none of it has worked out, and she's finally at a place where she's willing to throw herself at the work of the Lord and ask him to do what he can do. And he says your faith, that faith that was born out of your fear has made you whole. Go, be well, have a great life. In the next verse, 35, it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, so remember Jairus, they came from his house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So we see what happened with this woman was she feared, and then she made a decision. That fear is not going to be in control of me. I'm going to go and do something. I'm going to go to God with it. I'm going to ask him, I'm going to seek him for what he can do. And Jesus tells this man to do the same because when he came, when Jairus came and fell at Jesus' feet in the dirt and said, my daughter is near to death, please come and do something. Listen, I know as a parent when my kids have been in trouble and, and sometimes serious medical trouble in, uh, in the past and we feared, listen, that fear runs deep. It, it catches your breath. I understand the sense of that man in the dirt. But Jesus says to him, (laughs) Jairus is there. He's just watched all of this transpire. All of this unfold, right? So he comes. He's at the feet of Jesus. All of this happens with the woman. She says, go, be well, be healed of your disease. And interrupting that scene comes someone from his household. Never mind, your daughter's died. Don't bother him anymore. That's what it says. Don't bother the teacher anymore. What's the point? She's already dead. I, I can't imagine how Jairus received that news. But Jesus looks at him there and sitting in the dirt and says, Hmm put the fear away, instead believe, he's saying, think about what you just saw and hang on to that for a minute, because we're not done yet, Jesus said, do not fear, only believe, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James, They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. They get back to the house. It's pandemonium people are weeping and wailing, and this time in their culture, they were actually professional mourners. They were paid. They were paid to show up at funerals and wail and make lots of noise to show that there really was great grief over the loss of this person. And as you can imagine, it had started as something that was sort of noble in that no one would ever die and not have someone come to mourn for them, and now it had transpired into something much different and weird and awkward, and Jesus wasn't having any of that. And so he kicked them all out of the house, kept the father and mother, the ones that he brought with him, Peter, James, and John, kept them in the house. Now, he said this thing, why are you mourning? She's just sleeping. It seems odd. not entirely sure what's behind that. Uh, I think the best, the best potential understanding of that comes from some commentaries that suggest that uh, he was communicating to the people that she's dead to you, but that doesn't mean the same thing to me because I hold in my hand the power of life and death. Um, It's an interesting statement. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. But they went into where the child was, verse 41, it says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking around because she was 12 years of age, so she was old enough to walk. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Uh, Man, I guess. I guess so. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) All right, last couple of things here. Talitha kumi, it's Aramaic. Uh, Interesting, uh, sort of unique to the book of Mark. We have this a few times where uh, the words of Jesus are recorded in Aramaic among the Greek of the original uh, transcripts and the the codexes that we have that come later. And that uh, gives an interesting credibility to this account because Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. That would have been the language that he spoke in the region. And so it gives some credibility to the eyewitness perspective of the one who's giving this account. So we see that there. But he says to this girl, very simply, arise. And immediately the girl got up. And we see, uh, again, here in this circumstance, this is the man, remember, who's well respected, revered in his community. He had servants who could come and tell him that, these things have happened at your house. And yet Jesus treats him and the woman of bad reputation. He treats them equally. He meets their need where they are. He sees them as who they are. And he doesn't leave them in their distress. Now, don't don't take that to mean that I'm giving you prosperity gospel, because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that's scriptural, because we know, even from biblical stories, as well as from our own experience, that God doesn't solve every problem the same way. We've talked about this here before. I've, I've prayed with people here at this altar with our elders, and they have been, they've been healed of a, of a blood disease that they had. Um, Karen and I have prayed at the bedside of someone who, was, who the doctors had said is, was going to die. And within minutes, they began to recover. I have prayed at the bedside of those who the doctors said were going to die, and they have, in fact, died. Now, the skeptic would say, well, that's just because of the luck of the draw. But we see even in Scripture... The one story where Jesus goes down uh, to the porticoes at Beth- Bethsaida and there are scores and scores of, of people who are ill and he picks one guy out and heals him and sends him packing with his, his bed on the way but doesn't address everyone else. Listen, I, I don't pretend to know the intricacies of the way God chooses to work. But I do know this that even in circumstances in my own life where I have wanted a specific outcome and I've prayed for that specific outcome and it did not arrive in the way that I wanted it to, in those moments still, God shows himself to me and shows me that he has not left me alone. And it's caused me to, to, to grow into a man who even still more and more trusts that God knows and that whatever he chooses is for my good. Doesn't mean I always get the answer I want. It doesn't mean that if you and I have some infirmity right now that we throw before the Lord that he's some cosmic uh, gumball machine and if we put the quarter of faith in that he's gonna give us the gumball we want. That's, That's not biblical, it's not scriptural. What is biblical, what is scriptural is to pray for, and to seek, and to ask for that which we desire, that which is glorifying to God, and certainly healing is always glorifying to God. But the aftermath of the prayer is to trust him to do what God knows is best, and to live within that that answer. What these stories tell me is that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you need, if you will go to him, make the effort, seek him in faith, set aside your fear and reach out to him. Even when it seems absolutely too late, He will meet you where you are. And there will be some answer to your prayer. And sometimes it will be downright miraculous. I think where we often fail and where we don't have the opportunity to enjoy that is that we just don't go to him. We try to slug it out on our own, or um, we allow ourselves to be convinced that um, he's not really going to hear us, or that he won't meet us where we are, or we don't think that we deserve it, and we miss out on so much of God's interaction and intervention in our lives because we just won't simply go and shove our way through the crowd, the the mess, the struggle, and, and reach out to him. That, that our circumstance seems hopeless and, and maybe we think we've waited too long and now God's not going to be interested in helping us. But, but we see here, I mean, the girl was already dead. And it still wasn't too late for Jesus to do something. The question for us is, are we asking him to do something? I would encourage you, encourage myself, spend more time in seeking him. Get in here, Jesus. Help me. I'm coming to you. Speak to me, show me, lead me, change me, and then see what happens in your life. We're going to close with a video today. And uh, when the video is over, I'll come back and close us out in prayer.
0: All right. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. This corn. This solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought This is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, oh Jesus commands my in me. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns. Calls me home here in the power of Christ. I stand till he returns. Or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I'll stand.
1: All right, a couple of announcements for you before we uh, go. I'll give you a blessing here before we head out. Uh, since we've noticed our tech team this morning because things haven't worked exactly like we always want them to, it's a tough job. Appreciate all the work that they're doing. We could use some more people to help with that. And if that's uh, you, you'd like to come and join us on Sunday mornings and help run um, the, the camera, the live stream, uh, the media here on the screens, those kinds of things, if that's interesting to you come and uh, let me know or send me an email. We'd love to have you be part of that and to help us out with that. Also this morning, I'm wearing my Laverne Griffin camp shirt. These are brand new shirts that they've got out at the camp. Uh, Tyler and Carrie uh, out there, of course, our new directors since January. Uh, Steven's working out there at least this month and maybe a little bit uh, next month as uh, the kitchen manager for some camps that are coming up. And we're, we're excited because we're actually able to have a couple of camps, youth camp, uh, kids camp. Uh, The KNOPS have worked extremely hard to try and find a way to to work within the health mandates and to be safe as well, and as well as to have some people come and to help us from out of state, have some people in state uh, that are gonna be helping us run those camps, but it's complicated. But here's the deal. Uh, Week by week, they continue to have a retreat that's scheduled here or a small camp that's scheduled here. Those just continue to be canceled. Uh, right now for Laverne Griffin Camp, they're looking at about an $84,000 income loss for the year. Uh, now you can imagine they're a Christian camp, it's not like they, have, they don't have a bunch of money sitting around in the bank somewhere. Uh, they, uh, it's just not how it works for nonprofits like this. Uh, we don't have a bunch of money sitting around in the bank either. Uh, part of that is because we try to make sure that we're, we're tight, we're lean, and that we know exactly how that money's going out, it's coming in, and they're the same. Uh, as well as the last few years haven't been particularly good as far as income to the camp, anyway. That being said, for the next couple of months, if you have some extra, I know many of you have been so faithful to give uh, to Christ Community Church, and it's been uh, pretty good up through so far. I think I just got a note from Deb uh, that says that for the month of, Jul- of June, right now, wrapping up June today, that we're a little bit behind for June, but not as behind as we've been at other times in our lives, and so maybe some of you are gonna catch up before the end of the the month is out but we've had a, an okay year considering all of the crazy things that are happening the problem for a place like the camp is they don't have the option to just have people donating money so much their income comes through having camps having events and that just it just hasn't been happening and so it's been a pretty devastating year it's been pretty tough and we're trying to make it through to next season and praying that uh, we're going to be able to do that. So for the next two months, June, and, uh, July and August, if you have some extra that you can give uh, beyond your regular giving to the other things that you do or to Christ Community Church, we're going to ask you to give specifically through the church special offerings to Laverne Griffin Camp. And every dollar of that is going to go out to the camp to try and support that ministry. I wasn't going to do that. It's difficult to express how important, I think, that camp ministry is, like what the Canops are doing out there, what Walter and Sherry Chastain have done for us for the last 14 years, and people who came before them, Mickey and Anna Oots, were directors out there for a while, and uh, Larry and Sharon Hale, friends of mine. I know all these people because I go all the way back to when I was a teenager, going out to that camp. In fact. Uh, Our family went out and and cleared the trees for the road that goes from the sign to where the the dining hall is now. We cut those trees down and made that road when I was a kid. It's incredible what it's become now. But more than that, as we engaged, uh, Pastor Jason and I, in youth camp for several years and have invested in children's camp and uh, Alaska Native youth camp, we have seen so many young people's lives Changed because they encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ in that environment. Uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful ministry. And right now it, it is actually greatly at risk because of uh, the circumstances surrounding, uh, surrounding this um, pandemic. It has really thrown that into a loop. And of course there are places like that suffering all over the country, uh, similar, similar camps. But uh, it's, a, it's a big thing on my heart. Uh, it involves, of course, people that we care about deeply, Tyler and Kerry Knup and their family. Their income now is coming through that camp, and that's another thing that gets threatened because there's no camps. There's no income coming into the camp, and it's, it's difficult. So uh, the church gives on a regular basis as part of our budget to the organization that, that oversees Laverne Griffin. So we're doing that uh, each month uh, as we can. But if you want to do something extra, We're not having any other offering emphases for the next two months, July and August, and we're gonna keep putting that word out there. And listen, like we always tell you, you might think, well, I don't, I mean, I could give $5. Okay. Okay. Because your $5 and my $5, hey, that makes 10, right? And then it just goes from there. Do what God leads you to do, even if you think it's small, it's never insignificant. God does what he does with what we give, and uh, we are a testimony right here in this church of him doing that so faithfully. So I'm just going to ask you to do that, and we'll continue to communicate about that. Um, Don, how are we for Claire House right now? Uh, so far, only one person has signed up, so it's all open, and
2: this is our week
1: to do it. Okay kind of a weird week because holiday weekend coming up July 4th on Saturday. Karen's birthday Saturday. Um, she's, a, she's an America baby. Every, well, used to be. I don't know. Everybody celebrates their birthday. Now we're like, nothing's going on, man. Nothing's happening. But we'll do something. But it makes for a weird week for Claire House because it's that holiday weekend. It's, so this Friday is our meal, uh, 7.30 p.m. Thursday night. If you would like to bring some food, Don would be here to receive that. Uh you can it's pretty much wide open. Uh what has been covered so far? The milk is covered. Everything else Okay. So milk, because we provide uh milk for the, the folks, especially the kids to drink every time. Everything else is open. You can uh volunteer to bring food, part of food, you know, half the entree, all the entree. You can give money. You can hand money to Don. You can put money in the offering box. Yes, sir. Yeah, there is a sign-up that uh, I'm All right, so on the bulletin board out there is a sign-up. If you can help with that, please, uh, please do so. All right? I think that's all I've got. Would you stand for a closing blessing? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Friends, go and be well. I'm sure you saw the mandate, so just giving you a heads up. Next week, you will need to wear a mask in this space so we don't get fined, all right? Um, And we'll have some out here on the table in case you forget one. But uh, guys, be well. Wash your hands. Take care of yourself. Uh, Stay in as much as you can. Don't be being crazy out there. I love you.